0: All right, thank you so much. You can be seated. And again, thank you for coming and being a part of our service here this evening. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? We hold up the Word of God all over the building. And uh, let's take our Bibles and open them to the last book in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And we're in chapter 1, page number uh, 980, if you have an old Scofield Bible. And I'll read a couple of verses here tonight and just make three quick observations about this text and share three truths with you from the Word of God. Malachi chapter 1, real easy to find last book in the Old Testament. I know you're probably doing this, but I do want to remind you to please pray for our kids who are down at camp this week. I'm not sure that... That was on the announcement sheet, may have been, I didn't get to hear them, but I do know they're having a great week. I've got texts this week from uh, Brother uh, Jonathan and others that are there talking about what great services they're having and a good uh, good time they're having. And So they have, of course, tonight, they start at 7, and then they have in the morning at 10 o'clock, and then tomorrow night at 7, and then they'll load up and come home on Friday. So as you think about that, would you please pray for traveling mercy and grace for our teenagers, and just ask God to help them in these days down at camp. And then I'm, I'm excited. We're making some further plans as we move toward the fall and trying to shore some things up. Our plans are sometime during the fall of this coming year, uh, you know, along with our 100-year celebration, we're going to have Old Fashioned Day in the fall of this year. And I always enjoy Old Fashioned Day. That's the day you get to wear your bibbed overhauls to church and, and your Brogan shoes, and nobody's going to fuss at you. And uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to that, and we're making plans regarding that. And I think it's going to be an exciting day for us, and, uh, and, and I'll maybe explain that the further we go along into this. But uh, we're just thinking about all that. And then, really, we're just about two weeks away from teen camp meeting, two or three weeks away from teen camp meeting here. And so we need to pray much about that as well uh, coming up. And then before you know it, school will be starting back. Yes, sir. Can you believe that? And uh, before long. And so, my goodness, where in the world uh, are are things going? But uh, the older you get, the quicker time goes, right? And uh, so uh, uh, that's what they say. That's what I'm experiencing now. And so, uh, anyway, please, make, yeah, please pray about all this. I want you to look at Malachi chapter 1. Could I, before I forget this, welcome our radio listeners tonight? I didn't say anything about that a while ago. So we appreciate all that are listening on the radio tonight. It's always a joy to have people to listen. And sometimes when I'm out preaching, somebody will come up to you like they did the other day. He said, I, I listen to you on the radio about every Sunday morning. And I said, well, thank you. He said, uh, he said you sound taller on the radio. I said, shut up and don't listen no more. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, you get all kind of crazy ideas about people. Uh, uh, somebody, I, was, so I was in the hospital the other day, and somebody, I don't know how that happened, but found out that, that, that I was the pastor here, and they said, man, we listen to you about every morning on the radio. And I said, well, thank you so much. Sometimes you wonder if anybody listens. Then he said this, you sound younger on the radio. <laughs> so uh, I just want to make a motion we go off the radio tonight. <laughs> all this criticism and persecution from God's people on the radio. So uh, anyway, I'm kidding. Look at Malachi chapter 1. Look at verse number 6. I want to read verse 6 and then verse 14. And look at verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And then jump over to verse 14. God says, But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And I just want to stop right there and say amen. He is a great king. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Now, leave your Bibles open because just reading that, you're probably scratching your head saying, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, it has a lot. And if you'll listen for just few minutes, I want to kind of offer up an explanation to these verses. Let's pray. Father, please help us tonight. Thank you for the good singing tonight by the choir and the special number. Thank you for fellowship, letting us be at church and, and to shake hands and see the family and spend some time with God's people, I pray you'd bless us and help us tonight. Thank you for people who have sacrificed to be here. Many have come in, maybe didn't even have supper yet, and just changed clothes and ran out to church, or maybe some even come by here on their way home from church and have sacrificed to be here. Would you help us tonight and bless us, I pray, from the Bible, from the Word of God, and the Lord, give us enlightenment and encouragement from the Bible, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you may recall that uh, several weeks ago I started a series of sermons uh, from the last book in our Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Now, the book of Malachi, if you count it out, is almost 2,500 years old. It has been 2,500 years. That's uh, 25 centuries. Two millennial and half another one since Malachi picked up his prophetic pen and wrote these words. So one of the things we've got to try to understand about this book is, 2,500 years old, what possible relevance could it have to us as we live out these last days upon the earth? But I trust that as we have just opened uh, the, the, the pages of the book of Malachi and these opening verses, I hope the one thing that we have seen thus far is the great relevance and the many similarities there are between the book of Malachi, his day, and our day. Malachi's people were living in the days prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about the first coming of the Lord Jesus, and you and I are living in the days prior to the final coming of the Lord Jesus. If you were to take this book and divide it up, you'd come to, I guess, divide it up into two sections. Here's what you'd find. In chapter 1 and in chapter 2, you would read about the condition of the people. But then beginning in chapter 3 and culminating in chapter number 4, you'd read about the coming of the Lord, the condition of the people and the coming of the Lord. Malachi was warning people in that day, hey, you better get right and you better get ready because Jesus is coming and all over America tonight there are people standing up, preachers in the pulpit saying to people, you better get right and you better get ready because Jesus is coming again. Malachi lived at the end of an age, at the close of the Old Testament. And you and I tonight have the privilege of living at the end of of an age or the close of the New Testament. We are living in the closing days of the New Testament. So what did God do to the people of Malachi's day? And what is God doing to the people of our day? God's doing this. God had a message for those people. God sent a message through an Old Testament prophet by the name of Malachi. And as I told you a couple of weeks ago, it worked like this. Deity had a message for clergy and clergy had a message for the laity. Now, deity, that's God. Clergy, that's the preacher, and the laity are the people of God. You know, that's still true today. Deity still has a message for the clergy, and the clergy ought to still have a message for the laity. Listen, I hope you pray for the preacher, me, whoever stands in this pulpit, that they'll get up and, because, and preach not because they have to say something, but because they have something to say. Big difference. A lot of preachers preach because they have to say something. But thank God for the preachers who get full of the Word of God and stand up and have something to say. And that was Malachi, and that was the day in which he lived. He stood up with a message from God and delivered that message to the people. You know when a preacher stands up and preaches the Word of God, he is delivering God's message? It then becomes our duty, those of us that hear that message, it becomes our responsibility not only to listen to that message but then to act upon the message accordingly. That's the reason over the New Testament we read a verse like this right here. In James chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible said, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving your own self. You know, the problem is a lot of people come to church, sit down with their Bibles and their pen, and they mark up their Bible, write down notes in the Bible. They soak up the truth, but they never walk outside the church and live out the truth that they've soaked up. And, buddy, it's one thing to hear it, but it is another thing to act upon it. I've told you recently, but you do remember when I told you this a couple of weeks ago, when you reject the message, you're not rejecting a preacher. You know, I used to have the mentality when I was lost, I would go to church. I didn't get saved till I was 16 years old. But when I went to church, I had the mentality, you know, that I was beating the preacher by not getting saved. The the spirit of God would deal with my heart at church. I sat in the back of the church with the teenagers and that were there. And you want to act cool when you're sitting back there. But the preacher would preach and the Spirit of God would move on my heart, and, man, I couldn't help it. I'd get to crying sometimes, and I was trying to act cool, hanging on to the pew, and sometimes I'd walk out of the church, and I'd say, man, I beat him again. But you know something? I wasn't beating that preacher. No, I wasn't rejecting the message of a preacher. In reality, I was rejecting the message of God. And when we see it, and we hear the Word of God, and we swell up about it, get mad about it or whatever, understand you're not rejecting the preacher, you're rejecting the Word of God if the preacher is preaching the Bible. Well, that was the day in which Malachi lived. And it is in these Wednesday evening services that we're looking at what God had to to say to the people of that day as well as to the people of our day. Now, I told you right up front, the big thing about these folks was God would say something to them and they'd argue with God about it. God would say, hey, I want want to say something to you. Here's what i got to say. And the the answer of the people was, oh, yeah? Really? That was their attitude. For instance, back up in verse number 2, God said, hey, just want to tell you before we even get started, I love you. And their response, wherein hast thou loved us? That'd be like us putting for side kind of language, oh, yeah? Really? Hey, I love you. Oh, yeah. Really? That was their attitude toward what God had to say to them. Now, you've got to remember, again, historically speaking, if we took the book of Malachi and tried to find out in the, in the process of the New Testament, in the chronologic, uh, chronological uh, survey of the New Testament, if we tried to find out where we were, we would take the book of Malachi and lay it down beside the book of Nehemiah. Because in Malachi's day, the people were living in the day of Nehemiah. And if you've got to remember, back in Nehemiah's day, the people were struggling. They were fresh out of Babylonian captivity. They come to a desecrated and devastated city, and their job was the process, begin the process of rebuilding those walls, and, and they struggled, and times were hard. So God came to them and said, Hey, just want to tell you I love you. And their attitude was, Oh, yeah? Really? Really? And their attitude was, well, if you love us like you say you love us, seems like things would be going a whole lot better for us. You know, sometimes if we aren't careful, when we struggle, we begin to think that God doesn't care. We begin to doubt his love. We think that God is not involved and he's totally become disinterested in us. We may not say that verbally, and yet some people do say that verbally. When tough times come, they say, man, if God loves me, I sure would hate to see it if he hated me or whatever, and because of the tough times in life, we begin to question the love of God. Well, that was the attitude of these people. God would say something, they would respond to it in a sarcastic, uh, cynical kind of way. But what I've done tonight in two verses, look at verse 6 and verse number 14. What I've done is I've gone through these two verses and I have picked out three analogies that Malachi or God through the prophet Malachi uses to depict what kind of a relationship that we have with God. Now, let me tell you what an analogy is so we're all on the same page. An analogy is a comparison of two things for the purpose of clarifying one thing. Now, let me say that again. An analogy... It's when two things are compared together to clarify one thing. Now, let me tell you, in our text, what God does is he uses two things to clarify what our relationship with God is really like. Now, we have different pictures of that throughout the Word of God. You know, sometimes in the Bible, our relationship is pictured to God as that of being a shepherd and a sheep kind of relationship. Did not Jesus say, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep? Did not David talk about being a little shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he he, he depicts that relationship from the standpoint of God being our shepherd and us being the sheep. In fact, there's a verse over in the book of Psalms, chapter 100, that says that we are the sheep of his path. Aren't you glad to be a little sheep in the flock of God? You know something? Sheep have no ability, no defense mechanisms whatsoever. You know something? Sheep, I mean, if something gets after a sheep, about all they can do is run, and they can't even run very fast. They, have no, they can't stand their ground and fight. They have nothing to fight with. They're not like a skunk who can spray a foul odor and set somebody running. They're not like a bee that at least can swarm around you and sting you. They're not like a snake that can up and bite you. I mean, a sheep has no defense mechanisms whatsoever. So when something gets after them, a wolf or a lion, as the case may be, the only protection they've got is in the presence of the shepherd. That's why well, you and I in these last days, as little sheep running around in the midst of wolf country, and you have an adversary as a roaring lion, we better make up our mind in these last days, we better stay close to the shepherd. I mean, if we don't, we're going to get easily devoured and swallowed up by an adversary that we're no match for. Sometimes our relationship is like shepherd and sheep. You know, sometimes in the Bible, this relationship is depicted like a, like a groom and a bride kind of relationship. Yeah. I mean, God, is Jesus is the groom, the church, you and I make up the bride of Christ And some of these days. Brother, the groom is going to return. I always like it. I, I, I'd rather, I guess I'd rather have a wedding than a funeral. Let me think about that before I... I reckon so because weddings are a little bit more happier. But I always like it when, you know, when we come out here and somebody's getting married here in the church, a lot of people don't get married in church anymore because they can't dance. You're welcome. We don't dance here, not in the house of God. I still dance at home. I close the doors, put the inspirations on, tour in that city. I cut the rug a little bit at home behind closed doors, but not at church. But but, you know something? Weddings are, 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 are happy, happy occasions. They're joyous occasions. And, and me and whoever's getting married, we'll, we, normally the custom, we come out of that door we walk up here and here we stand and there's everybody sitting and they're looking, you know, and it's just a festive time and about... The, the top of the hour, normally, the back doors back there will fly open and everybody will stand up and here comes the bride walking down the aisle dressed in white and, and boy, she's coming to meet her groom. And, buddy, I tell you, you can't help but think about the day when Jesus comes, when the bride of Christ is coming to meet the groom. Amen. Dressed in white. Not dressed in yellow upstairs to catch a feller. But we're going to be dressed in white, made spotless by the blood of Christ. Yeah. But in our text tonight, Malachi uses none of that. So let me just show you in our text tonight, if if you'll get your prayer sheet out, let's get these three things, these, these analogies, the comparison of two things to clarify one thing. And let's get this down. This is what it's like to be a child of God. If anybody ever comes up to you and says, hey, tell me about the Christian life. What is the Christian life really like? Oh, you can say, well, let me give you three pictures of it. This is the way it is. First of all, look at verse 6. He talks, number one, about a son and a father. So, number one, put this down in your prayer sheet if you're keeping notes. As sons, we should love our father. As sons, we should love. Now, look at verse 6. A son honoreth his father. Now, God is likening the relationship that he has with his children to that of a father and a child-son kind of relationship. Now, i got to tell you something. That idea pretty much is a foreign idea, a foreign concept, especially in the Old Testament. I went through the Old Testament this week, got my Strong's Concordance out, and just went through it. And did you know there are only seven references in the Old Testament, two of which are found here in the book of Malachi, where God actually calls himself a father. Now, that idea of God being a father is pretty much a foreign idea in the Old Testament, but then when we turn the pages and come into the New Testament, we find that Jesus came on the scene and started introducing God in the person of a father. That's right. In the New Testament, Jesus taught us that God is like our Father. Did not Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven... Did not Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Did not Jesus say that heaven is the Father's house? But at least in our text tonight, what God is doing is referring to himself as a father and to his people as sons or as children. You know, that's what happened to us when we got born again, when we came into God's family. When you and I got saved, we become sons, Children in God's family. Now, i got to stop again and let me say one more time that God is not the Father of everybody. God is the creator of everybody. God created all of us. But He is only the Father of those who have become His children. Let me say it like this. The only way to know God as Father is to become His child. The only way to become His child is to be born into his family. And the only way to get born into his family is to receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. Is that not simple enough? Let's go over that one more time. The only way to know God as Father is to become his child. The only way to become his child is to be born into his family. And the only way to get born into his family is to receive his son, Jesus, as your Savior. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? That's it. That's the way to get into God's family. Well, when we become God's child, then the proper thing for us to do is to love our Father. God asked through the prophet Malachi in verse number six, the people of Malachi say, Hey, you, you honor your earthly fathers, you love your earthly fathers. Should you not love your heavenly Father? Now, I, I dearly, I dearly loved my earthly Father. I loved my daddy with all my heart, probably outside of my wife, the best friend I had in the world. I couldn't help but sit up there at the funeral the other day and just, man, all that was coming back in my mind uh, about all that, about my dad and and, uh, just sitting there having all those memories. But I dearly loved my earthly father. But if I dearly loved my earthly father, and I did, and I do, and I did try to honor my dad. I didn't do everything that my daddy wanted me to do like he wanted me to do it. But I tried to honor him. Even after I got older, I mean, I found myself sometimes calling my daddy and asking him, what do you think about this? Because I realized, boy, God gives daddy's wisdom about certain things. And I tried to honor him. But you know something, according to the Bible, that my love for my earthly father in comparison to my love for my heavenly father ought to look like hate versus love. We ought to love God so much that all of our other relationships, the love relationships that we have, pale by comparison. Did you know something? Let me tell you something. If you were to go through your Old Testament and count up all the commandments in the Old Testament, you would come roughly in the neighborhood of 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Now, God took those 613 commandments and broke them down into 10 commandments. Who knows what the first one is? That's right. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. That's exactly. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We, we know those. But over the New Testament, Jesus took the 613 that had been broken down into 10 and broke them down into two. And the first of those commandments was this. Look at this. Master... This man asked Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? Out of all the commandments in the Bible, which one's the greatest one? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said unto him, read it with me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, the greatest thing that any of us can ever do as God's people is to love our Heavenly Father. Can I ask you something? Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Let me give you a test. I'm not good at stuff like that. I'm not Mr. Romantic. And I struggle in areas. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I struggle trying to be Mr. Romantic. And I come up with some good ideas every 25 years or so. But I'm not real good about stuff like that. So here's what I thought about this week. I typed in on the Google line, signs that you love someone and here are the top 5 signs that you're in love with somebody here they are number 1 you want to spend time with them number 2 you want to give them something number 3 you're committed to them number 4 you can't stop you can't stop talking or thinking about them and number 5 You want to please them and make them happy. Now, let's bring that in the spiritual. How much do you love God? Oh, preacher, you don't understand. Preach, I love the Lord. How much time do you spend with Him? I love the Lord. You want to give Him something? I really love the Lord. How committed are you? I love Jesus. Do you think about him and talk about him all the time? I love Jesus. Do you want to please him and make him happy? I think probably most of us in here would probably have to say one word. Ouch. Because do we really love him like we say we do? It's easy to stand up when Brother Brian jumps up here and says, turn to page number whatever. Let's everybody stand, put a smile on your face, and let's sing, oh, how we love Jesus. Boy, that's easy, isn't it? But, buddy, how much time are we spending with him? How often do we think about him or talk about him? Hey, what have you been giving him lately besides grief? Hey, what, how committed are you to him? Well, if nothing else comes to I know I'm preaching to the wrong crowd right here, but I'm glad you're in church tonight, but how committed are you to him? Hey, how do you want to please him and make him happy? I'm just talking about as sons we should love our Father. Number two, look again at verse number six. Here's the second thing. As sons, we should love our Father, but as servants, we should labor for our Master. Look again at verse six. A son honoreth his Father. And then he says, right the next breath, he says this, and a servant his Master. You see, first of all, we're compared to sons with the Father. Now we're compared to servants. With a master. Now, again, I know people don't like that kind of talk. They don't mind the father-child relationship. That makes them feel all warm and fuzzy and have cold chill bumps up their spine. And it's like, whew, that makes me feel good. But when the preacher says, by the way, you're not only a child of God, but you're a servant with a master. And, buddy, when you start talking about that servant kind of stuff, people don't like that stuff. When you start talking about, hey, God has every right to make the man's of our life, people don't like that. When a preacher stands up and says, hey, we're God's servants and he is our master, Ugh. we don't like that kind of talk. You may give you another word. In the New Testament, the word servant is the word slave. We don't like that kind of talk anymore. This is the 21st century. We don't talk about slavery. We don't fly the... We don't fly the flag, and we don't, we don't do that because we don't want to talk about or think about slavery. And yet in the Bible, God is depicted as being our master. And we, born-again believers, washed in the blood of Jesus, are depicted as being his slave. I don't find that a bit demeaning to my, my self-ego, my self-esteem tonight, to stand up before you and gladly say, I am a slave. Of the Master. How many of y'all remember Brother J.T. Lyons always talking about the Master? When you ask him to pray about something, he would say, I'll talk to the Master about it. Because that's exactly what he is. He is our Master. We are his slaves, his servants. And my job, my purpose, my objective, my goal, my greatest ambition in life as a servant and a slave is to please my master. My job is to do what he tells me to do. My job is to labor for my master. Now, I understand when we think about a master-slave kind of relationship, it pictures up all, ki- all kinds, brings all kinds of pictures into my, our mind of people getting beaten with whips and, and uh, a, a mean, unkind master uncaring for his slaves. That's the the picture that we conjure up in our mind of the master-slave kind of relationship. But I don't have that kind of a master. No siree. I got a master who is a good master. In the Old Testament, there was something called a bond slave. And what that bond slave would do, because he'd got into uh, financial debt or because he'd been arrested for crimes and have been convicted or whatever, he could actually sell himself on the auction block as a slave to, to find a master, and that master would step in and assume all the debt or all the crime or the penalty that he had incurred. The master would become responsible for all that. And if that old boy, as a slave, could sell himself, and for seven years he had to serve that master. At the end of that seventh year, he was free to go out. However, if that slave said, You know something? I like my master. He's a good master. I don't want to leave him. Then he could make a decision to come before the judges of the city, and he could plainly, and I like that, he would plainly, that's Bible terminology. You read it, Exodus 21. He would plainly say. Now that would be like George Bush saying, Read my lips. So he would stand up before all the judges and he would say, Read my lips. I love my master. I don't want to go out free." Then they would take that old boy and they would back him up to a doorpost in the, in the house of his master and they would lay his ear up. I guess this is where we get earring, ear- earrings from. And they would lay his ear on that on that doorpost, back him up, put his ear up there, and they would take an awl and a hammer and they would ping, and they would bore an, aw- an awl through his ear. And the thing I like about it, you know what that did? That attached him to the door of his master's house. You missed it. He became attached to the door of his master's house. He could pull and try to get away but he was stuck to the door. This is, the, this is my master's house. I'm stuck to the door of it. I can't get free, free, free from the door of my master's house. By the way, I don't want to get free. I like it around here. It bothers me when people say they love the master and they're not attached to the door. <laughs> You're welcome. Look at this verse right here. This goes along with what I was saying, Exodus 21, 5. And if the servant shall plant, there it is, read my lips, say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Can I tell you something? I'm not hunting another master. I, I tell you, the one i got's been awful good to me. Everything i got, my master has given to me, and the least I can do is to labor for him. Look at verse 6. Here's what the next word. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. I ain't hunting another one. I like what Jesus said to Peter one time. You know, those disciples were all there, and finally Jesus preached, and they all walked away. And he fed 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and the children. There were possibly 10, 15,000 people there. And so Jesus preached to them and they all walked away and there were only 12 standing there. And Jesus turned around and looked at them and said, Hey, will you also go away? Let me put that for psychiatric language. Y'all going to go hunt you another master? Here's what Peter said. And he was always making crazy statements. But he got it right this time. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know what he was saying? Exodus 21, 6, I love my master. I want to serve him forever. Amen. So I'm a son who ought to love his father. I'm a servant who ought to labor for his master. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, when the roll is caught up yonder, I got a master We ought to labor for our master. Then number three, look at verse number 14, 803, and we're done. So we're a son with a father. We're a servant with a master. But then look at verse 14. We come to understand that we're a subject with a king. Look at verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and bow to the sacrifice of the Lord. A corrupt, for I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. So now we come to understand that God is not only like a father and like a master, but he's like a king. And now I come to understand that I am a subject of the king. Now, what does a subject do for the king? Well, first of all, he gives him his reverence. You know what that old subject's in the constant habit of doing? Bowing in the presence of his king. We should constantly be bowing in the presence. Showing reverence. So that, that, that when you bow, you're showing submission and you're su- showing surrender to the king. So he deserves our reverence, but he also deserves our benevolence. Our reverence, our benevolence. Look at verse 14. Here's what really astounded God. God said, I'm your king, you're my subject. In verse 14, he said, how dare you? When you come to your king as a subject, and you bring me a gift that is not befitting of who I really am. Look at verse 14. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in a fl- his flock a male and voweth. In other words, this guy said, hey, I've got a male here. He's in great shape, and that's the one I'm going to give to the Lord. But when it comes time to sacrifice, if you continue to read, the Bible said he brings a corrupt thing to God. So he says he wants everybody to stand up ooh and all. and says, you know, I've been raising that one from a boy, from just a little baby. That's going to be the Lord's right there. And everybody says, oh, isn't he a great Christian? Look at what he's given to the Lord. But when it came time to offer his sacrifice, he'd run over here and he got one that only had three legs, a missing eye and a broke ear and mange and was diseased and had his ribs sticking through his skin. God said, hey, man, that's crazy. Look at verse number 8. Ye offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord. In other words, God said, hey, you wouldn't dare, if the governor come to your house, you wouldn't dare take an old mangy sacrifice and bring it in there that had the maggots in it, and eat up, boys. And you wouldn't dare bring that in and set it before him with the maggots crawling out of it. And yet you want to come bring me a sacrifice like that? And God said, I'm a king? Don't I deserve better than that? And then here we come as God's people. You say, preacher, that's good. Boy, get him, get them, Malachi. Here we come into God's house. And God's been so good to us. and He's a king. We're the subject. The offering plate passes. We whoop out a five. Is that all God's been to you? I heard this old boy, his little boy, is sitting in church one day, and the offering plate passed, and his daddy put a piece of money in, and then they, after service they were over, they got in the car and headed home, and the mom and the daddy was just just being critical about every part of the service. The singing was awful, preaching was terrible, so and so testifying was horrible, and uh, they said, what? and they looked back and said, hey, "Junior, what do you think about the service?" He said, "I didn't think it's a bad show for a dollar." <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, it's time to give to the king. Here's a dollar. (laughs) Yeah, don't he deserve more than that? Is he not king? And we're the subjects. Are you kidding? Is that how we treat our king? Well, aren't you glad you come to church tonight? Boy, Malachi's getting down to where we live now, isn't he? Because he's the king. We're the subjects. And as subjects, we ought to be loyal to our king. Well, let's pray. Father.